хлопці порубали. Ой, недавно женився, усі люди знали. Чубара, чубара, чубариня, де дівчина молода. Чуба, чуба, чубариня, чуба, чуба, чубара. Чуба, чуба, чубариня, де дівчина молода. Вже я дівчинку Марусеньку звали, вона мене сороченька шейла й вишивала. of the Ozark and Blue Ridge Mountains uh, teaming up there with the Riding Mountain National Park in the Coppell Valley. That was uh, Canadian group Tuti Tam from their first album and Chumbara. Dobrý den, šanovni radio sluchači, ta vitaju vas vsih na radio predaču naš holos radio krizkoho korenja na hveli CHLY 101 FM umisti na najmo. Pre mikrofonici hodenu je Pavlina, a pislicoho Oksano bude z vame nastupni pifodene. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm Paulette Demchuk-McQuarrie, Bukadinska Pavlina, and I'll be your host for this first hour. And Oksana will be along at 12 noon to host the rest of the show in Ukrainian. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be revisiting the 
series on currencies in Ukraine and Israel on Ukrainian Jewish heritage. As well, we'll be bringing back Vancouver Island author Diana Stevan, who's actually a West Coast author because she's also got a foot um, on the other side of the Georgia Strait when we're not in lockdown. So we're going to talk to her because she's got another launch for her recent novel that she's just released, uh, the sequel to Sunflowers Under Fire. And Myra Jenik, our reviewer for Kanishka Corner, is a little backlogged right now on reading. So that review will come a little bit later. But we do have a Kanishka Corner review of Diana Stevens first novel, Sunflowers Under Fire. So that will refresh our memories a little bit about uh, where the story left off and all the characters. So stay tuned for all of that, as well our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, a young group from Winnipeg called Molodsi, which means young people. And here they are with traditional Ukrainian folk song, Ivanku, Johnny. Ivanku, Ivanku, Stohoboku, Yarku, Stohoboku, Yarku. Pishla bim do tebe, pishla bim do tebe, zyala voda kaku. Pishla bim do tebe, pishla bim do tebe, zyala voda kaku. Adochka tonenka, voda studenenka, a ya volodenka. Every day, more Ukrainian soldiers are killed or wounded by Russian invaders. You can help wounded heroes by joining the Adopt-A-Soldier program of registered charity Ukraine War Amps. A small monthly donation goes very far for medical services and living expenses and creates a special bond between you and a wounded hero. 100% of your contribution goes to the soldier. Please, adopt a soldier today. Visit ukrainewaramps.ca or find us on Facebook. 
And that was the story and song about the beloved duo Mickey and Bunny. It was performed, written and performed by Brian Sherwick of the Cubasonics and followed, of course, by the iconic song uh, Mickey and Bunny are well known for, Sinashazamnya. This land is our land. Up next, a group from Ukraine called Express and a song that was uh, written, composed by a Ukrainian-Canadian composer and lyricist Bohdan Veselovsky, who is very famous for his tangos. And uh, this one is a classic beloved here in Ukraine and uh, elsewhere around the world. And it is called Hudsuka Ksenia.
And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nasholus Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Banknotes and coins are not only means of payment, they're also a symbol of sovereignty. This is a story about two currencies, two countries, and two peoples with a long and closely intertwined history. The hryvnia, currency of Ukraine, and the shekel, currency of Israel. This is the story of how both of these countries have honored the other with their respective currencies. Nothing confirms sovereign statehood like its own unique, identifiable, and stable currency. And arguably, no two countries know this better than Ukraine and Israel. One of the biggest challenges of any new state is being taken seriously on the world stage as a sovereign political entity with a viable economy. To that end, engaging in international trade is crucial. And for that to happen, a new state needs its own currency. In 1991, shortly after the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe, Ukraine suddenly found itself an independent state. After over 70 years of political and economic subordination, Ukraine was finally free of Kremlin control. But taking control of its own affairs, after centuries of foreign control, would be no easy task. As a new state, Ukraine found itself stuck with the Soviet ruble as its currency. This situation, using the currency of another country, was not conducive to creating the impression of sovereignty, nor economic strength and stability. So, creating its own currency became a high priority for the new Ukrainian state. In 1948, after the Holocaust decimated the vast majority of European Jews, the Jewish people finally had their own state. And likewise, the new state of Israel found itself stuck with a foreign currency, the Palestine pound. At the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire conceded Palestine and Transjordan, which, at the end of the war, were undeveloped, poor, and sparsely populated, to the Allied forces. The League of Nations, the forerunner of today's United Nations, created the British Mandate of Palestine for the British to administer these territories. The Ottoman Empire had no official name for these lands. So the new administration chose the term Palestine, which dates back to ancient times. In the 2nd century, the Roman Empire had crushed a Jewish revolt and recaptured Jerusalem and Judea. The Romans renamed the area of Judea as Palestine in an attempt to minimize Jewish identification with the land of Israel. With the creation of the new state of Israel in 1948, the British Mandate of Palestine came to an end. But, nonetheless, Israel was stuck with the Palestine pound as its currency. So creating its own currency became a high priority for the new Jewish state. It took a few years for both states to create and establish their own currencies, but in both cases the process began almost immediately. In Ukraine, a temporary currency, the Korbovanets, was created. By November of 1992, it had replaced the Soviet ruble and was sole legal tender in Ukraine. In 1996, the hryvnia was introduced as Ukraine's national currency when past president Viktor Yushchenko was chairman of the National Bank of Ukraine. 
Work to design the hryvnia had, however, begun much earlier and under secrecy. The first banknotes were printed outside the country in Canada and the United Kingdom. The one hryvnia banknotes were printed by the Canadian Banknote Company in 1992 and the two, five, and ten hryvnia banknotes in 1994. The banknotes were stored in Canada until they were put into circulation two years later. Israel's currency also involves secrecy. Planning for it began before the State of Israel was yet established or named. This was a tricky situation, as no reputable foreign firm was interested in printing banknotes for a non-existent state. Eventually, however, the American Banknote Company of New York was persuaded to print them, but without any indication that they were legal tender. When the banknotes were ordered, no one yet knew what the name of the new state would be, let alone the name of its currency. It was therefore decided to print Palestine Pound on the notes, the currency of the mandate. The banknotes reached Israel secretly in 1948. On August 17th, the government passed a law declaring the notes legal tender, and they were put into circulation on the following day. In 1952, the Israeli pound, or lira, was introduced to replace the Palestine pound. From then onwards, a debate raged over the non-Hebrew name of the currency. This resulted in a law in 1969 ordering the currency to be replaced by the shekel. It was finally introduced in 1980 after two years of planning in complete secrecy. After a period of hyperinflation, the shekel was replaced by the much more stable Israeli new shekel in 1986. Despite some talk of another change in 2013, the Israeli new shekel remains the country's monetary unit. The names of both these currencies, the Ukrainian hryvnia and Israeli new shekel, have ancient roots. The hryvnia is named after the currency used in medieval Kievan Rus called the grivnia, which means main. It might have indicated something valuable worn around the neck, usually made of silver or gold. Later, the word was used to describe silver or gold ingots of a certain weight. Today, the standard English name for Ukraine's currency is hryvnia. The National Bank of Ukraine has recommended that a distinction be made between hryvnia and grivnia in both historical and practical means. The shekel's roots are even older. The shekel was an ancient Near Eastern unit of weight and is mentioned in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. It was first a currency in ancient Tyre and ancient Carthage, and then in ancient Israel under the Maccabees. The modern state of Israel was created and built by Jewish settlers who came mainly from Eastern Europe, many from the territories of modern-day Ukraine. This latter-day exodus dates back as far as a century ago, when many Jews fled oppression in both the Russian and Austro-Hungarian empires. Since the establishment of the State of Israel, European Jews continued to emigrate to their ancestral homeland, despite the many obstacles, in particular in the communist countries of Eastern Europe. Several Jews from Ukrainian territories have been awarded one of Israel's highest honors, their portraits depicted on the state's banknotes and coins. And Ukraine has returned the favor. In recent years, the National Bank of Ukraine has issued dozens of commemorative coins on various topics, 
Several coins are dedicated to prominent Jewish writers and scientists who lived and worked in Ukraine, as well as religious buildings of Judaism in Ukraine. And a century ago, Yiddish was used on Ukrainian currency in 1917-1920. So profound was the impact of Jews on Ukraine that Yiddish was one of the three state languages on the paper currency of the Ukrainian People's Republic, an attempt at independence from Russia that lasted four years, until 1921. In the next edition of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, we'll bring you the names of the distinguished and esteemed Ukrainians and Jews who grace the currencies of both countries. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. Until next time, Shalom. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. І з вами Оксана і Павлина. You're listening to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo with your hosts, Oksana and me, Pavlina. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Diana Stevan's novel, Sunflowers Under Fire. Sunflowers Under Fire tells the epic story of Diana Stevan's grandmother, who lived in Ukraine during the years 1915 to 1928. Enduring World War I, a civil war, and great personal hardship, Lukia not only survives, but becomes a resilient heroine. She asked nothing of life except the means to feed and shelter her growing family. As the novel begins, 
It is August the 5th, 1915, and Lucia Marec delivers her eighth child alone at the farmhouse in the village of Kiverci in Volinia. She names the new baby Eudokia and prays that she will be strong. Lucia has already lost two babies to illness. When her husband Gregory returns, he announces that he has joined the Tsar's army to fight for his native Ukraine. Lucia is appalled and angry as he leaves her with five children and a newborn. She tells Gregory that the Tsar needs Ukrainians to do his dirty work. Well, I spit on the Tsar. We're nothing to him. As the war between Austria and Russia escalates, the villagers of Kiverci are sent away to safety. At first, Lukia and her six children are supposed to go to Siberia, but through Gregory's intervention, they are sent to a much warmer refugee camp in the Caucasus. All around her, on the train and in the countryside, there were thousands of families like hers, headed by women traveling to places far from home and far from the men they loved. What was to become of them all? Lukia and her family spend a difficult few years in the Caucasus refugee camp. She survives by bartering and using her sewing skills to purchase extra food. Her resilience is severely tested as her family survives hunger, grave illness, and social isolation. When the war ends, the family comes back to a destroyed farm. Her husband returns, but suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Although the family slowly rebuilds, their losses multiply, with tragic deaths, unbearable losses, and impossible choices. Readers will learn a great deal about Ukrainian culture and history in Sunflowers Under Fire. There are lengthy descriptions of Ukrainian traditions at Easter and Christmas, as well as details about marriage ceremonies, Ukrainian folk dancing, and songs. Lukia finds herself embroiled in major historical events. The Tsar's daughter, Olga Nikolaevna, appears as a nurse who saves Eudokia's life. Shortly afterwards, Lukia learns that the entire family of the Tsar has been massacred by the Bolsheviks. Lukia is approached to become a member of the Bolsheviks at one point, but she refuses. Her family becomes involved in the short-lived Declaration of Ukrainian Independence. She is also part of the Ukrainian emigration to Canada. All of these events make her a participant and an observer of the difficult history of Ukraine in the years 1915 to 1928. Sunflowers Under Fire is based on the life of Diana Stevan's grandmother in Ukraine. She dedicates the book to my mother Yudokia Kluchuk, named Mazurat, a natural-born storyteller. Lukia's story is an unforgettable historical saga about a strong and resourceful woman, her resilience and courage in the face of incredible obstacles shows the strength of her character. She keeps going no matter what she faces, typhus, death, exile, hunger, and loneliness. It is a book which is not easy to read at times, but it will definitely live in the reader's imagination 
long after the last page. Diana Stevan has worked as a family therapist, professional actor, and freelance writer-broadcaster for the CBC. She has written two novels, A Cry from the Deep and The Rubber Fence. She has two daughters and lives with her husband in West Vancouver, British Columbia. Sunflowers Under Fire is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. from Leeds, England, from their CD Vorone and Shcheraz once again. On the line with me now is Vancouver Island author Diana Stevan. She's just released her latest novel, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, which is the sequel to Sunflowers Under Fire, her first novel in this family saga based on a true story. Lilacs in the Dust Bowl is set during the Great Depression in Canada and carries on where sunflowers under fire left off. Diana launched Lilacs in the Dust Bowl last week here on Vancouver Island through the public library system. And uh, she's going to tell us now um, how it went and about her next virtual book launch. And we'll find out, uh, if you're like me, I have no idea really how these work. I missed hers because I had to be in the dentist chair. So um, really looking forward to finding out how all this works. So Diana, welcome back. Long time no talk. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me, Paulina. It's a pleasure to be be back. Well, it's great. So you launched last week, and um, before we go, I'll get into the technical details of how that works for listeners who may have missed that interview um, and are not aware of your books. Uh, tell us, um, tell us about them. Well, the virtual book launch went really well. I was I was so pleased. Mm-hmm. I had people. Um, 
uh, family, friends, strangers from uh, as far away as New Jersey and Sweden oh. and Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. Yeah, they all joined in, and it's amazing what you can do virtually. Um, yeah. Yes, and so I, I talked about my book. Um, it, as you mentioned, it's a sequel to Sunflowers Under Fire, but it can also be read as a standalone. Mm. And it's basically an immigrant story based on my Baba's um, journey from uh, then Polish-occupied Ukraine to Canada in the summer of 1929, just before the stock market crashed and the Great Depression uh, began. So I did um, a reading from the novel, and uh, then I showed some slides that uh, helped me write the book, pictures of, um, you know, family pictures and uh, photos I found on the internet on various archaeological sites that uh, helped me uh, visualize the scenes mm -hmm. uh, of the story during during the, uh, the Great Depression. Um, they immigrated to Canada, and uh, during the Great Depression, there were dust storms and... Uh, Scorching uh, weather during the summer, heat waves, um, freezing temperatures in the winter. They had grasshopper plagues. It was a uh, it was a very grim time uh, on the prairie. Wow! So but I, there was also laughter, song, and dance. Uh -huh. So um, my uh, my family saga has light moments as well as as sure. um, how the family fared during those dark times. Yeah. So uh, you had a chance uh, and uh, participants in the uh, in the launch have a chance to learn a bit of history along with a uh, general history, along with the actual story, following the story of uh, in the novel. Yes. And there was, you know, there was an opportunity for questions and answers. And uh, a friend of mine actually had read the book just before the launch. And so she also asked me some questions. Um but, you know, the virtual the book launch, it's, it's amazing how, uh, you know, anyone can participate. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to have another uh, event where I'll be doing something very similar. St. Vladimir Institute in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, along with a couple of book clubs there, is hosting an author event. And I'll be doing another reading of my novel online, and uh, there'll be questions and answers, and I'll... Uh, also present slides that uh, show how I how I wrote the scenes, basically what what I used to write the scenes in the story. Well, that that'd be very interesting for um, aspiring writers or even uh, experienced writers as well, uh, as this is all new technology, and um, so it's uh, adds an, uh, a, a new dimension really to it makes books three D almost. Um, or seems like 3D, right? Because um, you get the interaction, you see a lot more, you see the whole kind of picture behind. And for writers, I mean, I'm, I've I've done some writing in my in my life, and so for me, it'd be interesting to see um, how you piece things together, how you used these historical events, and then wove them into your story to make them seem uh, natural and. Um, and just part of part of the story. Well, I was very fortunate, Paulina, that I had my mother's anecdotes, uh, mm -hmm. stories of what happened during that time uh, in the family. But I had a lot of missing pieces, and so um, I have a background in screenwriting. So I I like to write, um, you know, cinematically mm -hmm. in in a way where I describe, you know, the landscape and uh, mm -hmm. um, some of the scenes. You know what you know, between the characters. So, uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate to be writing at this time where I have access to, you know, that kind of visual uh, material. You know, during COVID, I don't have to go anywhere. I can yeah. access this information online. But yeah. I guess I should um, 
mention for for your listeners how to go online if uh, if they want to attend this event. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Because St. Vladimir Institute, it's on June 6th, and it's at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And if you go to their website, you can register. Um, as I said, it's open to the public. It's mm-hmm. free. They're suggesting a donation, but it's not uh, mandatory. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, you can register, and to uh, it'll be a Zoom event, if people have heard that word, Zoom. <laughs> who hasn't these anyone, days? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyone who has a computer can download the app. It's also free, so if you just put in your search bar, uh, you know, download Zoom app, and you, you know, put it on your system, and if you register at uh, on that website, on the St. Vladimir website, they will send you a link. So that when the event, you know, takes place on June the 6th at 4 p.m., you you click on that link, you know, they'll send Mm -hmm. it to your email address. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you you will get a message saying that, you know, you're now in the waiting room or whatever, and uh, that the event is about to begin. And the host will basically let you in so that, um, you know, you can be seen if you want video or you can turn your camera off. Um, and there's all kinds of tutorials online, even on YouTube, about how to use. The yeah, Zoom. yeah, yeah. If you're that inclined, but you know what, Diana, I found when I first used uh, Zoom was um, I have not uh, opened a Zoom account at all. I just use it as like um, an observer um, or a participant. At first, I wouldn't turn the camera on at all because you know not everybody wants to have their face seen. Not everybody, you know, some people like to sit at the back of the room, right? In real life, exactly. They just sit at the back of the room, be quiet, and don't want don't want anybody to know. They just want to observe. And in which case, yeah. that's perfectly fine. You just turn off the camera and uh, you know and that's fine your name will appear there but that's just you know it's like as as if you signed in to uh, you know bought a ticket or whatever so you don't have to open an account you do need to download the app you don't need to open an account you don't have to be seen Um, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to but if you do certainly the opportunity is there so that's that's a great thing about about the zoom rooms and so um, yeah so so it went well here it went really well. The library said, the Vancouver Island Regional Library said it was the most attended online event they've oh, had. Oh, wow. congratulations. That's great. I, 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 was, I was absolutely thrilled. It, uh, yeah, it, uh, and the uh, people who attended said it just flew by, which <laughs> is something you always want. You know, yeah. I didn't want to bore people. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's but possible, but- Diana. Actually, and it does, <laughs> and it does speak to to the um, the caliber of of your 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 writing and your books. Obviously, that many people fifty some people you said attended, and that's a really good good sized crowd, uh, you know, in person or online. And uh, so, obviously, with your first book, Sunflowers Under Fire, you made a bit of a splash, and and you did mention last time we spoke uh, we spoke last week that people were asking you to write a sequel, which you've done. Well, yeah, I never planned to uh, to write uh, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, but uh, when readers want to know what happened to Lucia, Lucia Mazuret, which, mm-hmm. who is the name of that's my baba, mm-hmm. and then I thought, well, you know, they're, they're, they, 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 they were disappointed that they didn't, mm-hmm. they wanted more. Right. So um, that's why I started and uh, actually wrote it in less than two years, which was great because of COVID. I was able to focus and, and get the writing down, whereas Sunflowers Under Fire took, uh, I think, about seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
so it, um, yeah, so that was lovely. And now I'm working on the third book in the Lucia Family Saga series. Wow. <laughs> so Sunflowers Under Fire, most of it was set in Ukraine. Um, yes, in yes. Right. And it ended with Lucia escaping to Canada. Deciding to leave for Canada. Okay. Yeah, she was, well, they were, yeah, they were already getting ready to go. Yes, yeah. they were leaving. They were leaving. Yeah, and so it's actually started in uh, 1915 mm-hmm. during the Great War. Um, and at the time when my Baba was giving birth to my mother oh. and uh, my mother's father, Lucia's husband, Gregory, was volunteering to fight the Tsar's army in the Great War. And then, you know, it goes through to uh, 1929, basically, and covers mm-hmm. the, the uh, Bolshevik Revolution, the typhus epidemic, which might be interesting to uh, mm-hmm. listeners because of what we're going through right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the civil wars. And at the end, uh, it was Ukraine was uh, occupied by Poland, where yeah. they lived in, in Volhynia, in the western part of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of challenges. Yeah, yeah. And then the second book is even more challenges, as you said, from Oi 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 to Into the Fire, I think you put it. <laughs> yeah, Oi 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 to, to like from the frying pan into the fire. That yeah. could be the other other subtitle yeah. of the second book. But uh, yes, but the uh, first one, it's inspired, um, you know, um, a book club, I should mention. It's called uh, the We Are Ukrainian Book Club. Whoa. And it's on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So if people go on Facebook and they're interested in joining, they're open to members, and it's an international one. There are people from all over the world who wow. have, you know, a Ukrainian connection and are interested in reading books by uh, authors who have a Ukrainian connection and are writing stories about Ukrainians. Yeah. So um, yeah. So so like my Kanishka Corner uh, series on on Nasholos, Ukrainian stories in English. Yes, they yeah. would. They, yes, they would love to know. Yeah, they would love to know about your books. Okay, I'll definitely will get in touch with them. Thanks for for letting me know about that. And uh, isn't this wonderful to be uh, connecting and sharing these stories? Because for so long, these stories were hidden. Uh, many of them will never be told. They've gone to to the grave with so many people. And so, you know, when authors like yourself come along and tell stories and then you connect with others and then the stories get shared and get a much wider audience and so um several linings in every cloud with this pandemic and <laughs> you yeah, know lockdowns so, so, and everything yeah yeah i've been thrilled to, to make those connections and and yes if they go to that we are ukrainian book club just be, they can ask to join you know facebook you mm-hmm. can just you know send a request and they, as i say they're looking for new members Great. Okay, so just do a search for We Are Ukrainian Books on Facebook, is that Ukrainian, correct? We Are Ukrainian Book Club. We Are Ukrainian Book Club, okay, so that's just a simple search on Facebook, and I'll, I'll find it, and I'll put it uh, in uh, the link in uh, the show notes to the podcast, but um, for those who are listening live and won't be able to, ch- uh, to check out the show notes or um, have a computer handy, then just do a search on Facebook for We Are Ukrainian Book Club, and for your launch, Diana, on June 6th, you just do a search for them. There's- yes, St. Vladimir. Merit, so ending with the R Institute. Okay. Um, yeah, and they can even put say Vladimir Institute, Diana Seven. That's S T E V A N. Okay. And uh, my event will come up. Perfect. Uh, and yeah, you know, that would be great. I would love to <laughs> okay. have you know 
more people join in. Yeah, that would be great. So that was that's June sixth, and that is a Sunday at four p.m. Pacific time. Yeah. So um, that's a good good time, and it would last what about an hour or so, or about an hour. Okay, yeah. all right. So good a good way to spend an hour on a Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. in in June. So learning about lilacs in the Dust Bowl and other. Um, perhaps other stories and maybe a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a um, sneak preview of your third novel in the series. Yes? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so that's still a work in progress. So I see. Yeah, okay. So I guess we'll have to just keep following you to find out uh, what the story's about and when that book is out. Oh, thank you, Paulina. (laughs) Okay, well, good luck with the next uh, virtual uh, book launch, and thank you so much for for joining us and uh, telling us about the one that has just um, happened here on Vancouver Island. And thanks again for writing these books, sharing these wonderful stories, and all the best in working on your third. Oh, thank you so much, Paulina, and thank you again for having me on. Awesome, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Dopabachinya. Dopabachinya. delightful girl group from a Lviv, Ukraine called Lubostok and that was a lovely melody, medley rather of two melodies uh, Verkhovena, the Highlanders song and the Woodcutters dance, the Arkan.
Na hadiju vislohite radio prohramu Naš Holos, radio Našoho Korinja, na hvali CHLY 101 FM u mistje Nenajmo. Cijuho denu bola z vame Pavlina, zaraz predaju mikrofonu Oksani, ali pred tem je hoću izalešati vas tekeme slovame mudroste. Tvi voroh može zapodijete, to bi bilše zla, jak prijatelj dobra. And our proverb of the week translates as an enemy can do more harm than a friend good. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm Pavlina and my time with you is up. Oksana will be here at the top of the hour to host the rest of the show. Thanks for listening. Dozusrichi.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.